This morning, I want to share with you a story about Joseph, the butler, and the baker, that we do not lose hope, for this story has some significant ramifications for you and I. First, and how we respond to difficulties around us, and some of the lessons that are learned from this particular story. In Genesis 39, 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. That's just one verse, but I'd like to read the story to you because this story has, uh, well, we may have forgotten what the story was, especially some of the details. We probably don't read it very often. Unless you're in Sunday school, you probably hear these over and over and over again, or bedtime stories or whatever. But let's take a look at Genesis chapter 40, and we hear the story of Joseph. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was. So obviously at this place, Joseph's in jail already. We're going to cover the story in just a few minutes in the palace of the captain of the guard. So this is a pretty serious jail. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph, Joseph saw, saw them the next morning, he noticed they were both looking upset. Why do you look so worried today? Does anybody not see the humor in that? They're in jail. Why are you looking so sad? Because I want to be free. Sorry. Ugh, just, just, I see it. I'm sure it's how it was. But anyway, they both replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. And Joseph says, interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead. Tell me your dreams. <laughs> you caught that. Yes. Hmm, this is Joseph saying to them, it's God's business, now tell me. Okay, I'm giving you the pictures. If you're not seeing these snapshots, I am in my head, okay? If I could stream what's going on in my brain on the screen, you'd be laughing your heads off sometimes. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom. And soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position of his chief cup bearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Don't forget that line. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, me, 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 he said. No, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. 
This is what your dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. The birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Maybe he should get another interpreter. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later and prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. How nice. The start of the next chapter says, two years later, Pharaoh dreamed. He was standing on the bank of the Nile River. This story has some implications. Let's see what we can glean from it. Joseph, at the beginning of the story that we didn't read about, he was a young boy. He was favored. He was immature. He bragged about his own dreams. He had all these visions and dreams, and he told his family about them. He told them about how all the, uh, he had 11 sheaths of stuff around him, and, and they all bowed down to his sheath in the, in the grain field, and then the stars and the, and the moon, and uh, they all bowed down to him. And all, those dreams represented his brothers and family, that they would bow down, and they, the brothers were not happy. Do you ever have an annoyance? sibling who just said all the wrong stuff at the wrong time and always put the foot in the mouth, well-intentioned, happy, and totally oblivious to being a pain? Well, don't answer that too quickly. But this is, this is the place he was. So it was immature and growing. But I just noticed as I was telling you that part, he had dreams from when he was young. Hmm. Let's come back to that. Then he was betrayed. So his brothers came, and they took his uh, coat of many colors that was a favorite coat, and they took it, and they put it in blood, told their dad that uh, um, his brother was, must be dead. They didn't say it. They just let on and let dad believe Joseph is clearly gone, because look, make your own conclusions, but we didn't lie. <laughs> but they sure you know, put together, wove together a story. Then the journey of pain began where he was uh, set up and sold to a, a caravan of slave traders. That slave trader caravan uh, went to Egypt, and again he was sold, and so on. So that was the journey. And when he was sold for the second time in Egypt, he got a new boss named Potiphar. So Potiphar respected Joseph, made him head of his house, until his wife tried to seduce Joseph, and then Joseph ran from her, but she got his coat, and then she lied and told him that he tried to have his way with her, and, and so the Potiphar guy, like any good husband would, said, this ain't good, and so he puts him in jail and be done with, and now he's in jail, innocently. And yet, God still found favor with Joseph. The dreams. What's so important about dreams? Well, dreams were extremely significant in ancient Babylon and Egypt. Uh, if you take a look through the whole of Scripture, you will see many, many individuals who have dreams. Joseph had a dream. Hey, get, get out of here. Get out of Bethlehem and run to Egypt. Mary had a you know, vision of an angel come and speak to her. Uh, there's dreams everywhere. There's, there's something about dreams we may not be tapped into. Certain dreams that we have have a significant awareness uh, where we remember them in the morning. Some people remember every single dream. Uh, I remember none. Um, every once in a while, I might get one that I remember. Uh, 
Um, but dreams played a big role. They believed that God, small g, spoke to humanity through dreams. This was a big cultural belief. Joseph observed they were troub- that the, the two guys who had dreams in the jail cell, he observed they were troubled. So he was obviously aware of what's going on around him, how people's moods were, which is a character trait worth noting. The baker, let's start with him. He had a negative interpretation. I'd say it's pretty negative. That's like really bad. But let's take a look at this. The bread. The bread of what? Life. A representation, even from the story of Joseph, pointing to the cross of the bread of life, the body of Christ. And he died three days later. Jesus, same thing. Three days in the grave. However, the math works. This is an Old Testament story that you could draw some pretty neat thoughts about, especially making that connection. And then, of course, on what? Impaled on a metal post. Or, sorry, wooden post. You know, the cross, wooden. That's kind of cool. You've got, you got to admit, I, I like the connecting those dots. But there's something even more powerful with the next person, the butler. He had a very positive interpretation. If we take a look at the wine, we look at the wine in uh, Christ's first miracle. He created wine out of water. That, that's a pretty cool first start, especially when he got nagged to do it. He wasn't even ready. He said, Mom, I'm not ready. And she found her way, and Jesus ended up making more really, really, really good wine. But that's the same thing that Jesus used at communion. And then the blood. The blood is a representation. Well, we, we just saw uh, through communion, the shed blood of Christ is what did so much for us and to us. It's a powerful image. So then we have, the, uh, the, in the dream, uh, the butler was squeezing grapes, and he was releasing the grape juice into the cup. Same thing happened later. He was released himself, and that was the image that Joseph had. He saw the release. And then we look at communion, um, uh, there's a, a powerful picture of being now set free, released from an old covenant. He was speaking to the Jews about that, and now you're free. That old covenant's no more. It's done. But then we have Joseph. He's later released through the story by the butler finally telling um, uh, the Pharaoh about Joseph. So again, that representation of the one who squeezes out the grapes becomes the one to free Joseph it's a, I don't know if Joseph got that interpretation. I don't know. I think it was more short term. But <laughs> eventually, uh, he did get out. But the blood speaks. Blood is really, really important. In Hebrews 12, 24, it says, And we have come to Jesus, who established a new covenant with his blood, sprinkled on the mercy seat, blood that continues to speak from heaven. Forgiveness, a better message than Abel's blood that cries from the earth, justice. Your blood speaks. The blood of Jesus speaks of, a, of better things, of the finished work. This brought in a new awakening for all of us. It brought in a new nature, a new creation. We've been created new in Christ. Well, how else does the blood speak today? Well, people can figure out DNA. If you do enough uh, deep search into the blood, you can figure out the DNA of people. Cholesterol, yeah, great. It does reveal cholesterol levels, right? Everybody kind of knows about that. Yeah, <clears throat> all right. It reveals if you've had a heart attack or not. Apparently, there's enzymes that are produced in a heart attack, and when they t- look at the blood, they can see if the person had a heart attack or not, because sometimes you don't know, but there's some enzymes that are released in that event. At least that's what I'm told. 
It's kind of cool. Uh, and also, when you look at blood, it reveals anomalies. If there's something wrong with you, if your white blood cells are too high or too low, your blood tells a lot of what's going on. It reveals the level of your health. Doctors will check your blood to find out what's wrong. It's one of the first things they'll do. So if you're saying, I'm not doing well, well, what, what are your symptoms of this and this? Ah, let's, let's take a look at your blood. Always go for the blood. And that's, that's, that's pretty significant. So this, we need to respect what the blood says. Here's another observation about Joseph. He seemed to always be concerned for others. Even in his trial and place in life, he sought to be caring and not self-centered. Joseph is one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture, by far. His story of injustice, wrongly accused, and God working all things together for him, I'm sure as he was going through the stages, it sure didn't feel like it. But even still, while he was in that position, he still had caring eyes for others around him. Enough to observe somebody in jail was upset. Like, who cares in jail? I used to work with young offenders, and we didn't really care too much if they were in a bad mood. They just couldn't be in a really bad mood, because then bad things happened. But we, we didn't observe too much back then. And uh, nowadays, <clears throat> if I'd be doing the same thing, I would be far more concerned about the mental health and state of individuals. His faith was already strong and was affirmed by his interest in dreams. He noted when he told the gentleman, tell me your dreams, because it's a God thing, is what he was telling them. He was declaring a connection to his God. Bluntly. Like, you caught how clear he said that. This stuff is for God to deal with, so tell me your dreams. That's, that's pretty powerful. Well, he asked not to be forgotten specifically. Please speak to the Pharaoh. Get me out of here. While he, he, he just finished declaring, he still wants to get out. Just because he has a good mood or he has a, um, a controlled sense of his response to his situation in prison doesn't mean he wants to stay there. Okay? He still wants out, like all of us in some of our troubles. We want out. But we are called to still have a good attitude and a good response to those things that come our way. And he has, he's a great representative for that. We have no control over some experiences in life. We control how we respond instead. God is working deep things inside Joseph. Deep things. There is work being done in his heart. He's being trained. He's gone through crisis after crisis. Then he ends up in jail. In jail, he becomes a leader. But before he went to jail, he was a leader in the household of Potiphar. He is learning all these leadership skills, conflict management, really. Wisdom is being developed in this young lad, gets thrown into jail. We don't know what God is preparing us for. We just don't. You don't know what's coming tomorrow. You don't know what's happening uh, in a week from now, two weeks from now, in a year from now. You know, we think we're really good at planning things, especially all those who think they're multitaskers. It's an illusion. <laughs> I tell you, we don't know what's going on, and we think we're preparing ourselves and planning for the next week and so on, but I do too many funerals to know we're not good at pl planning anything. There is the, the greatest for sure in life I've told families is right here. Nobody, nobody gets out alive, and I point to the casket, and it's a wake-up call. It's critical. And here he's learning. He's learned to trust because he does not know what's coming. Back to Joseph's story. So, Pharaoh has a dream. 
The cupbearer finally remembers two years later. Some of you whine and complain when, when God doesn't answer your prayer in two days, you know, uh, or in seconds, Lord, find me a parking spot. Come on, God, parking spot, you know. You get upset at that short-term prayer. So imagine a year, two years, and many more. Two years later, the Pharaoh had a very significant dream, and the cupbearer went, ding! Oh, yeah, I know a guy who knows a guy. No, but he actually knew the guy. So he said, Pharaoh, I know somebody who can interpret dreams. He interpreted my dream accurately, and that's why I'm here. Well, go get him. Now, he cleans up. I noticed that in the story. He went and shaved and did all that. At first, I thought he was, he was being cocky. And then I realized, no, you have to go before the Pharaoh clean in your best. So I thought that was a pretty cool picture of being called out of the dungeon of the, in the smear of dirt where things were not as clean and brought into the cleanest possible place in the kingdom, in the palace with the Pharaoh. He was promoted from jail to the leader. He interpreted the dream. And Pharaoh said, there's nobody better but to run this country with a coming crisis than you. Clearly, God has his hand on you, and he became second to the Pharaoh. This is a very, very significant role. Once the uh, uh, famine comes that was predicted, uh, he finally sees his brothers. Hasn't seen them for a long time. And I wondered if he's second in command, why would he not go and figure out where his family is? You get to do what you want, pretty much, right? Why wouldn't he? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But anyway, they end up coming for food. He recognizes them. And so he, he reunites with the family, but he doesn't tell them who he is. He tests them. After the testing, all that long story figures out, he ends up having a full reunion and meets his father and his brother he never knew about, Benjamin. This is a beautiful story of what has gone on. Sudden blows are hard to take, folks. He was a favored son and then sold off as a slave. He had it good, and suddenly, boom. Do you ever have great success, wealth, and suddenly it's gone? Had a good relationship, gone, sudden blow. Huh. He was removed from his country and then sold again in a foreign land. So not only was he thrown into the pit, they were, they were going to kill him, but he ended up getting sold. So he got sold to the caravan, and then got sold again in another country altogether. Wow. He then became head of Potiphar's house, the one who bought him. But then, oops, <laughs> ends up in prison for something he didn't do. And then we don't hear any record of him complaining. I don't know if that's on purpose or as I realized yesterday, perhaps the reason it's not there is because he was not of a character that complains. That wasn't his default setting to react with complaining. And in our culture, in Western culture, we complain a lot. Just mention politics. Look out. Whoa! You know, sports teams. Whoa! Um, you name we, the weather. Whoa! You know, we complain, complain, complain. And some people have this propensity, their first reaction is complain or negative. Anger. First response. It's those first responses that need to find a new response. That's not your new nature. That's a flesh ego reacting. So if it's being recorded that he didn't complain, I have a hunch. He was a man of tremendous character. 
trusting God in the hardships? Well, Joseph did. He was isolated, but people were watching him. Why do you think he got promoted? As soon as he became uh, a slave in Potiphar's house, something was clearly aware God's hand was on him, and Potiphar noticed it. God was with him. Hmm. Other people you see where it seems clear God's hand is on that person, that, uh, how, whatever that means, okay? I'm not, we're not getting into that sermon today. But you can tell sometimes certain individuals seem to emulate a special favor, a blessing. Don't know why, but obviously this was visible to Potiphar, and that made him a leader of the house. Then thrown in jail, same thing happened in prison. He became a leader in the jail, taking care of others, promoted. Why? Because he was being observed. He wasn't your typical complainer, typical whiner, blah, 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 blah. But instead, he became a person of light and hope, I think, just from what I'm reading into the story. Because in Genesis 39, as read earlier, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. So, the backstory is this. God's involved in this story. God is involved in this story. And I believe he's involved in yours too. There's some teachings out there right now that uh, like to diminish um, God having his hand in all things. And that life just runs itself. Or, you know, God's not controlling everything but I believe he is absolutely influencing everything. He, he is in charge of whatever happens. Now, if we go the wrong way on this, now we make God the cause of all pain and suffering. Okay, that's not where we're going. We're talking about the image of a story here where God was pre- preparing and planning a young man to take care of a crisis that was going to happen. There's something much bigger going on, and he learned well from that. Today, three things to take away. There's more going on around you than you may be aware of. Much more. Be careful. When you look at your personal circumstance and think, oh no, what have I done? Well, sometimes maybe that's an okay question because you did do something really stupid and there's a consequence to bad choices and we learn from them. But there are other times where there's a crisis that comes our way and we just have to live from a place of surrender. Sometimes life just happens, and other times it's a redirect being worked on right now for you. God could be redirecting you to something bigger and better for you and for others and so on. That's a possibility we have to keep on the menu. Number two, the one who created all things, everything around you knows and is directly involved in the journey and the outcome. Your heavenly father is the beginning, middle, and end, and the source of all that's going on in your life. And the more you recognize it and live from that internal awareness, the easier and faster you'll be able to yield to the presence of Christ in you and not question everything, but walk in faith, the faith he gives you. The one who created all things that you may or may not be aware of knows best the motives of all, outcomes of all, and has your best interest in mind. Rest in this fact. This is good news today. Take the lesson from Joseph's life. Do a heart check. Say, Father, am I displaying who you are in me? If not, please, and be gentle. I do this a lot. Okay. Be gentle with me and guide me towards 
revealing the light in me and living from the light that's in me. I think that is a wonderful prayer. Let's pray.